Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Morning, Stacey. How are you? Good morning, John. I am doing well. I am staying warm. I hope everybody else is right now. <laughs> and how about you? <laughs> oh, well, I'm in California. It's You know, it, it got down into the um, mid-40s last night and people were bundling up and, and running towards fireplaces and warm houses because... Yeah. Lord knows it might get down to 40. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. no polar vortex here. How about there? Is there a polar vortex in, um, in North Carolina? North Carolina. The, de- the numbers have dropped a bit, but nothing compared. I called my parents last night just to check on them because they were up in Ohio, and um, they literally can't walk out of their house for more than five minutes without, you know, frostbite. And, and at their age, I basically told them, don't walk out of your house. <laughs> just stay inside. <laughs> You've got enough food. You've got enough things. Just stay for the moment. It, it, It is, I mean, the amount of, um, it is just, it is terribly um, painful to be outside was their exact words. So <laughs> I'm, I can't imagine the idea of being painful when you walk outside. But I think for anybody who probably lived maybe in Alaska for a while or in the much more northern uh, climates of Canada probably understands that. But I don't think um, even in Ohio that you've understood that uh, at this depth before. I know many uh, Minnesota even got worse. I think they're, they're getting down, you know, like negative 50 with wind chills, that kind of stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, I was in, I was in Minneapolis once and the wind chill got to minus 60. Um, um, and and I learned at that moment never to go back to Minneapolis at the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when Minneapolis and, 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 and Minnesotans are, are are commenting on how cold it is, you know it's cold. <laughs> because That's normally right. they take it in stride. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so our wishes go out to everybody. We hope everybody's staying warm and that that nobody's having any power issues or stuff like that during this very cold time. But yeah, um, but no, I'm 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 home this week. We'll be for the next week, probably about two weeks, and I start on the road again. How about you? Uh, were, were you traveling this week? I am in beautiful Burbank, California, um, and I I spent yesterday in the um, in the offices of the Disney Company in Burbank. Wow. Well, it was it was a, a wonderful time. It'd be, what what a great place to work! Yeah, you know, everybody's happy and dancing and living in a movie, um, <laughs> and um, and and because you know movie technology is really the cutting edge of technology in a lot of ways. Their HR tech is is more thoughtful and more comprehensive than most people get a chance to do, and they've got this tremendous um culture that that um you can build on when you've got an HR department. So so um we got taken around to the holy sites of the Disney company, which is um the suite of offices that uh, Walt Disney occupied up till about fifty years ago. Um when he died. And um the amount of reverence for the founder is the heart of the the culture there. Yeah, it's very interesting. It and, um, and, I, and, and the leaders the leaders are are uh, polished and um, amazing. I visited once there uh, at least five years ago, and I was in awe. I mean, you, you saw the 
the the location where they did the first sort of animation work and the the the, the Disney shop and 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 just walking in those offices with you know first drafts of drawing and artwork and it, it, you're right reverence is a really good word that is definitely the feeling you get for for that um, wow um, I I did not get a chance when I was there to see um, Walt Disney's offices that would have been very very my my father would have enjoyed that a great deal so. <laughs> Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I think I think you had to have the magic juju to to, to get shown through the offices. Although it was pretty clear that there was a permanent staff of people who just showed you the four or five rooms in the office suite that he that he wow. operated in. Yeah, it's fun. Wow, it was fun. And, 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 and you were having and, and conversations. It was, it was to be with an assembled group of about fifty. Uh, HR tech leaders, and and it was it was the smartest and most accomplished group of people that that I've had the pleasure of uh, spending time with, um, and um, I was surprised in a lot of ways. I think they came thinking they'd learned from me, and I think I'm probably the one who learned the most from the interaction yesterday. That's how the best presentations go, I've always felt. So uh, it sounds like it was an excellent opportunity. Uh, If you could give one takeaway, what's your big takeaway that you got from from that conversation? It was really interesting. So there were 50 um, senior HR tech leaders in the room, and I would say uh, solidly 80% of them were, were competent, capable um, innovative women, and um, I don't think there's any other place in technology besides HR tech where the glass ceiling has been so perfectly penetrated. I mean, this was this was a dominant presence of women le- presence of women leaders, and actually being there and and interacting with that particular community was was really eye-opening i think so that was my big takeaway but the other thing is that in innovative companies with leadership like i was with ai projects are in 40 percent of the companies and 60 percent of companies have people analytics projects going um and they are um, anxious to find places where they can talk to each other about experience with vendors. Yeah, that's that would have been a. a I'm sure there would have been many vendors who would have loved to have been a fly on that wall in there and <laughs> see those conversations. <laughs> but those are the kind of conversations yeah, that are that, valuable. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the reputation that vendors have is probably different than they think they are. That's 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 probably the second interesting takeaway. So, what's in the mailbag? Well, it's been a busy busy week, there's no doubt. Yeah, so you've been traveling, and I've been working on uh, onboarding my new um, uh, employee here at Sierra Cedar, but um, we have lots of new stuff going on. I think maybe just a a first announcement, um, because I think this is an area that you're pretty well, is that we um, did see that the – HRO, which is the HR Outsourcing Organization, um, now has a new board, and we should definitely talk about that um, maybe as a start today, because that, that's, I think, an interesting topic oh, for anybody oh, who's yeah, using no, HR it's not space. HR Outsourcing. It's, it's oh. HR Open Source. Uh, Sorry, the, my fault. The, uh, I, meant, yeah, I meant to say I read it wrong. 
<laughs> yeah, the, the entire open source folks. This is this is yeah, this is this is something Lars Schmidt started four or five years ago. And um they have like eight thousand members and these are HR and recruiting professionals who share best practices with each other. And so it's an alternative to things like the conference board or person by Deloitte where where it's 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 a self-governing grassroots organization rather than a um, a four-fee club that you join, um, and um, it's 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 going to be interesting to see how they do. It's going to be really interesting to see how they do. But now they've got a fully articulated professional board of built of the next generation of leaders, and so it's very very exciting to see this grassroots thing get a little bit more structure to it. Uh, and and so it's a big deal that they have they have professionalized the board. And I was most I mean I, I follow just a little bit, but not nearly as much as you have. I've I, I had signed up for them, had had talked to a few people um on the team once and I just hadn't had a chance to get back to sort of some of the work that they were doing. But what really struck me when I was looking at what they're doing is, is how many countries they're in. So, you know, so many of the associations and the um, research efforts basically, you know, try and get global, but it's really hard to get global. Um, and this, at least based off of, you know, what you saw in both their board, um, uh, elected board members and their um, – or the board members they uh, appointed, as well as the um, organizations that are represented in their um, list of organizations. You know, they have 80 plus countries represented. That's that's a huge amount. They had uh, board members from all over the place. I was looking at. They had people from Germany. They had them from. Um, uh, there was a couple of people out of Sweden and Vancouver, as well as here in the states. Um, it was really a great mix of, I think, nationalities and um, personalities um, on the board. So I'm really interested to see what they're going to do with this because I think that's one of the biggest issues right now is that a lot of HR technology conversation is still very North American-centric. So it would be good to see a little bit more um, global perspective, I think, on a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the other things that's worth noticing about this is this is this is – um, um, what's what's the one after Gen X? So so because Boomer, Gen X, and Millennials. <laughs> is, is that how the generations go? I I think it's it's Generation Z, Gen X, Millennials, <laughs> and <then> Boomers. <laughs> right, right. You just you just said it the other way. So this is yeah. this is the next generation of leadership in the industry, yeah. and it and it has a. Um, a, a profoundly social media center to it, yeah, uh, and and that's different from all of the sorts of older, more established boomer style consultancies and, and deposits of uh, conventional wisdom, and and so I, I think it's just the next thing maturing nicely. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So I think it'll be definitely a great thing to follow and see where they head. Um, we also have a lot of other things going on. I mean, this has been a busy week. Um, we got um, Culture Amp acquiring Zugata, for those who follow sort of the culture performance management space. We also have 
um, Adiro, we're securing $22 million from Abri Partners um, for their well-being application. And then um, there's some interesting in, um, updates on what's happening at Glassdoor. They're um, entering Singapore and Hong Kong with localized job sites, but they also are getting hit right now with some conversation about whether or not people are gaming the Glassdoor environment. And I'm sure you have some commentary on that, John, when we get to it. Um, Ceridian um, launched some new updates on what they're doing, particularly focused on an industry, uh, the uh, retailers. Um, they're talking a little bit about how their chatbot uh, or virtual assistant, as well as their uh, new uh, pay-on-demand um, uh, product are going to be associated with their retailer-focused um, uh, retailer focused um, application area. And then we have this really, I think, on, interesting conversation if we get to it today about the global skills challenge. Is it real? Is it not? There's some interesting conversation coming out of Davos around that. But also we're seeing organizations like Skillsoft and IBM introducing brand new certifications to try and meet the needs of this area. So lots of stuff going on, I think, that, that takes us in a lot of different directions. So where do you want to start at, John? Oh, you, you know, I, I think I think we probably ought to jump right at the Glassdoor gaming thing. Glassdoor is one of the interesting things about Glassdoor is they're moving into the um, Asian markets with new um, offices in Singapore and Hong Kong. But the Wall Street Journal um, it has been talking about the fact that people are gaming the reviews in Glassdoor. What do you think about that? Well, you know, this is sort of a one of those sort of like, well, of course there's some gaming going on, in my opinion. I mean, every time um, you have any kind of a publicly um, available environment where there is um, not as much vetting. I mean, I mean, you can't vet. I mean, that's the whole point of social technology, right, is that vetting um, is sort of limited to some extent. But you have the ability to sort of influence who goes in and, and puts the responses in, right? I mean, that's the, I think anybody who follows this type of um, sort of thumbs up, thumbs down, stars type of um, tracking tools knows that it can be gamed um, if it's uh, by very savvy social um, professionals. Um, the question is, does it get balanced out by the reality of, of of people and, you know, people who are um, giving their voice and have an opportunity to have their voice heard? Um, I don't know. I mean, do you think that this is this is something that um, people don't understand when they're actually going to Glassdoor? Oh, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much of a cynic about awards. <laughs> Right. I think I think I think generally speaking you can buy awards and I think generally speaking that that things like best places to work are so suspect that, that I can't believe that anybody even actually is proud of the fact that they've been described as the best place to work because that that is such a corrupt scheme. Um and so so I think you'd be nuts if you were an employer and you didn't actively encourage your employees to leave positive reviews about the company. That's how employment branding works. But, but you know, you know, recruiting is recruiting isn't really a technology. Recruiting is a persuasive art. 
and and when you say it's a persuasive art that 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 suggests that that hyperbole and exaggeration are part of recruiting right <laughs> yes so, right and you know there there are a lot of great old long shaggy dog story jokes about people being recruited one way and discovering that reality is different from how they've been recruiting and I believe that's the essence of employment branding. And so so it doesn't surprise me that this is here. What surprises me is that people think this is a surprise. Yeah, I, I think that – I think we're both on the same page with that. I mean, um, you know, it, it, it sort of reminds it, – it, it would be almost like a story of saying Amazon and, you know, reviewers are gaming, you know, who buys, you know, app products, right? That's kind of what I, I'm, I'm hearing out of this, and I was sort of like – well, you know when you go into Amazon that they've paid to have reviews done. So you look at the worst and you look at the best, and you're somewhere in the middle you find a reality, right? <laughs> and oh, I would assume listen, that's how people Listen, listen. You know, if you, if you are a new author, right, and, 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 and I've seen this around our space, and, and, and this is not a professional author's world that you and I live in, but if you're a new author and you want to get your book attended to and successful on Glassdoor, you have to figure out how to get reviews um, into Glassdoor because your ranking on Glassdoor is part, um, I'm sorry, on, on Amazon. Your Amazon, ranking on Amazon is partly driven by the number of positive reviews. So every author um, hopes and encourages their friends to leave positive reviews. You know, and is that gaming? I don't know if that's gaming, but but that's certainly what you have to do to promote your book, and it's certainly what you have to do to promote your product. It's marketing, um, and and so so this is either wow. If you believe everything you read about the company on Glassdoor, um, I got a bridge for you, um, or. Um, um, this isn't really news, and so my guess is that is that there's a generation of people who who don't understand that what you read in places like that is highly biased. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's you know, but and, and I look at it the flip side and thinking about you know, um, I can promise you that on my LinkedIn profile that the people who I solicit to get reviews from right on LinkedIn are going to be the people that I feel I've done great work for, right? <laughs> And, you know, so there's a personal side of this, too. Every employee has a brand that they're trying to manage as well. And and maybe this is the, the bigger conversation here, which is um, does Wall Street, does the market as a whole, do businesses, do do they all understand this this sort of back-and-forth brand management that's happening, I think, particularly at the young, younger generation. Now, whether it's good or bad, it's just an expectation that everyone is managing their brand, right? Well, and, and this idea, that there's this uh, old 20th century idea that somehow there's objective news, that somehow somehow there's somebody who's reporting something who doesn't have a bias, and uh that's that's kind of naive <laughs> you know so 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 the, the, you know for the wall street journal of all people to discover that an alternative publication to theirs has a bias embedded in the reporting 
<laughs> you, you know, that's 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 sort of the height of hypocrisy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is this is this is pot calls kettle black. Um, <laughs> well, and I think you know this and, is that that. It's very much, you know, and and part of this, you know, uh, report went really deep into going after some of the software vendors who were part of this as well, right? Um, So Software Giant SAP was listed in here. They had SpaceX listed in here. I mean, they had some big names that they went after in here. And, and, you know, that's that's part of the conversation. It makes it very newsworthy, right, Mary? Or newsworthy maybe not, but the word makes it very uh, clickable, right, Uh, from that perspective. Right. Yeah. 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 So my take is, that, yeah, uh, it would be interesting to hear their perspective on it. We, I don't know. If there's a lot of commentary um, from them, particularly on this. I think their their comment was that they are doing their best to sort of always make sure that the data is valid. Um, but it sort of gets back to the conversation we're having about the the purchase of a Culture Amp acquiring Zugata. I mean, Culture Amp is a performance and sort of cultural. Um, uh, analysis tool within organizations. So if an organization is trying to represent themselves transparently and openly and they know what their culture is and then they try and get employees to sort of say, please tell others what our culture is, right? Um, you know, Maybe the bigger question is, is, should you fear your culture or should you embrace it, right? This is such a, this is such a tricky area. This is, this is <clears throat> related to to the idea that employee engagement is something to aspire to. Yeah. Right. The, the, you, you know, and, and there are, I had, I had the most interesting conversation the other day with, with a guy who runs um, security for a big um, medical claims processing company. And so he's got a team of 50 software developers who do security for uh, uh, medical claims processing. And he says, nobody ever went to undergraduate school to get a degree in computer science to do this work. This is the worst work that somebody can do if they are a a coding professional. (laughs) And so we don't really expect people to like the work. That's not what we do here. We expect people to do the work perfectly, um, but we don't care if they like it. We work on other parts of incentive structure to make sure that they want to do a good job because the incentives are set right. Mm -hmm. And so they work on motivation and incentive, and they, they leave this idea that, that people are supposed to feel good about the work or that the work is supposed to be fun or the culture is supposed to be delightful, they leave that to other people because it just isn't true in their in their work. And so so I, I, I don't I don't buy this junk about engagement being a universal good. And so I'm surprised. That means I don't that means I don't necessarily pay as much attention to engagement oriented companies as I might and and I'm always surprised when they get to be as big as culture amp is. Yeah. 
So CultureAmp has 2,000 employees. I didn't realize they were quite this big as either, although I have got a couple of briefings with them. But I had more briefings with Zugata. Um, I, so CultureAmp acquired Zugata. They don't give any numbers or anything here. Um, but I know Zugata was in the, in the couple hundreds as far as the companies that they were serving. Um, so it will be an interesting mix here from my perspective. Zugata, which which I knew had done quite a few briefings with, I was following as sort of one of the the more cutting edge versions of performance management, um, and I think it did a good job balancing exactly what you're talking about. That you know you can be all uh, talk about employee engagement and talk about culture and talk about all those things as much as you want, but if you aren't connecting those with the performance work and the outcomes you're trying to achieve, it it really isn't getting you anywhere as an organization from their perspective. And so they took a very proactive approach to um, performance as a conversation in the organization, along with a mentoring programs, along with sort of personal motivation factors, the psychology of motivation, and tying all that together. And that was sort of the, the Gata approach to things. And I've been, I've never, you know, they always have this great story. I never saw them quite take off as sort of large and in the market as I thought they could. They've got several rounds of, of funding. Um, now, CultureAmp seems to have grown quite rapidly, and this might be a, a fixture of marketing or maybe the product resonates a little bit better. I don't know. But the two together might be a really interesting you know, a relationship, without a doubt, because I do think they have kind of the pieces each other needed a little bit. Did You, you didn't follow CultureAmp much at all, right, John? But, but I know you have a perspective that – Engagement needs to be more than just the idea of everybody feeling good. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this this will be a great experiment of, um, um, to see if if you can broaden the the definition of engagement or the idea yeah. of of how employees attach to the company. I think that's how I like to think about it these days. Yeah. Is is you do want people to have strong ties to the company because that's good for security and it's good for profitability. Um, I just think I think I, I've never been a fan of this idea of engagement. Well, my sense is that by picking up Zugata, they're making engagement a more practical, on-the-ground conversation, I would say. So it'll be interesting to see how they tie these two applications together yeah. um, and what happens here. Um, the other thing I think we really wanted to get to if we, we had time today is to talk about what's happening with the skills gap conversation. So there was a, a big report that came out of Davos um, and um, from the American Economic Association that suggests that the skills gap might be a myth. And this sort of hit, I think, all of us a little bit when we were reading this, is that um, their perspective is that um, – some suggest that the employers respond to high unemployment by making their job descriptions more stringent, um, giving the perception of a skills gap when unemployment went down thanks to uh, demand-side recovery. Um, and then there was also some, some commentary in here about the fact that, you know, as things get, you know, more open, then all of a sudden we increase the need for four-year degrees, we increase the, um, the need for years of experience, and that also increases what would be considered a skills gap um, 
market uh, where we basically don't have enough people to fill positions when really we're just asking for things that aren't realistic in some cases, right? Um, and I think we've had this conversation for quite some time. I know uh, Dave Ulrich has a, and a couple other, uh, or, or um, there's a couple other management consulting guys who are basically saying, look, it's, it's all about pay. You're not paying people enough, right? So you can't really call the skills gap if you're not paying them. But then there is sort of a flip side of this where they're saying, look, there really is a skills gap, particularly in this technology and data analytics space. What do you think about all this, John? I mean, is, is, are, are, have we made more of the skills gap than it is? Or is there an issue where we're just not developing the next generation to, to where that artificial intelligence is going to be? I mean, you're, you're in that almost every day these days, right? Yeah. So, so the desire to have a clear story to tell is 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 a real human thing. The, the, the desire to have a consistent big story to be on top of is is a natural and human thing. But this particular problem isn't like that. So, so every company has an interface of some kind with the labor market that fuels it, right? and, and that labor market is some combination of industry, region, um, and skill set, right? And, you know, if you want to build um, a nuclear design facility in Fargo, North Dakota, you're not going to find a lot of rocket scientists and nuclear engineers in Fargo, and so, so it's probably not a good place to do it, and you would find a skill shortage there. If you went down and set up a company next to SpaceX, you could steal SpaceX people all day, and so you'd have less of a skills shortage. <laughs> you know, you know? So, 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 so skills shortages are, are relative, but there are some things that are going on that, that merit attention. Thing one is um, you, you could easily um, ascribe the political problems we're having in the country to a skills imbalance by region that resulted in companies moving to other places. Um, And so, so if your local labor market doesn't have the right mix of skills, you can't get companies to adhere to the local labor market and they'd even go elsewhere. And then you have people who have lower quality jobs as a result. Um, What you see, what, what I've been tracking for decades now is that, skills consolidate in geographical areas. So there are way more software developers in Silicon Valley than anywhere else because when software developers consolidate into a single space, the average wage for each individual software developer goes up. Right? And so so there's this sort of big regional trend. And then, then um, there are the things that you have to do to enable and manage intelligence in the enterprise that involves skills that nobody has. <laughs> so so that's, a, that's a, a part of the question is that the technology is continuing to accelerate and, and the things that you need to be able to do to survive as a business are changing pretty rapidly. And there are it's hard to call them skill shortages because the people who need the people with the skills don't understand what the skills are that they need. Does that make sense? That is um, that, that completely makes sense. Yeah, because <laughs> right, it's a right. challenge and, almost and, every and so, education. So, yeah, yeah. So this, I, I always find the stuff about um, 
the skill shortage to be sort of a large expression of angst about the speed of change in industry. Yeah. And there are there are other related things there, but I'm not sure you can categorically solve this this particular problem. But there's now, a lot there, of there's a lot of work and money going on here. There is, and and there's a lot of programs being put together around this. I mean, we've got just today here we got two Skillsoft launch a new digital learning journey for key technology roles. Um, and we also have IBM introducing new certifications to help close the data scientist, scientist deficit, both focusing on this idea of technology and data analytics um, as, as programs. And like you said, you don't know what you need to learn until someone outlines it. This is a big challenge is that if the market can't keep up enough to tell you what the education should be or create the education, how do you learn it, Right. Yeah, well, you learn on the job as part of that, and and so that means a change in management style. I love Skillsoft's name. This would be the third new project called Aspire that I've seen this week. Um, I think Aspire must be the new word. Um, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 I think it's interesting that that IBM is introducing certifications. That's 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 actually a surprise to me. What do you think? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of different there's a lot of definitions of certifications. I've learned a lot since I've been working on the IRM certification. There is sort of just the the courses that are that people would call certification. At the end of it, you get a piece of paper, right? Um, and then there's uh-huh. psychometric analyzed certifications, which are all about you proving that you have the capability to do things, right, which is a very different type of certifications. Um, I haven't read too much into this, but I do think that, you know, um, a data scientist certification um, that will give organizations of any size the ability to assess and validate data science skills through practical experience sounds like they're trying to build this as something that will assess skill sets. Um, So that, I think, is actually, you know, it it would be interesting to to dig into this to see if they have psychometric analysts working on it, to see if they are putting in place a board and a group of people who are analyzing it, Um, because that's the other piece of it. Who makes the decision about what are the right type of skill sets needed for this, right? Um, You you have to have a a group of peers or a group of people who are managing this. It's, It's all the conversation we just had. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with this. Yeah, I think it's, you know, in this particular case, IBM is having a shortage of customers, and so their their approach has become to train people to become customers. That, which, isn't that, that, isn't you know, that, or that, to assess if they have the right people, because... Um, so it's it's a bit of training and a bit of assessment. Uh, it, almost like we have to judge whether or not you can get our product, because if you don't know how to use it, it may not be good for you, right? A little bit of that. Oh, or or the reason it broke is your people. That's that's yeah. another. <laughs> that's another guess. <laughs> and on that note, we have run out of multiple time. I think, but <laughs> right, we should we, we should call this the cynical episode. <laughs> Exactly. I was going to say at this point, all vendors' new taglines. It's not our product, it's you. <laughs> oh, no, okay. that would be good. <laughs> well, yeah, well, thanks, Stacey. This has been another yeah. great conversation. Definitely, um, yeah. You've been listening. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Thanks for coming along and joining us, and we'll see you here next week. Bye bye now. Thanks, everyone.
Bye.